I want to welcome everybody that's taken the time to listen to this. Uh, this is a thing that I'm going to try and do with various people that I know in the role-playing community and tabletop community. I want to call it Player Characters. Uh, it's basically a conversation that I get to have with various people, and the first person I'm having a conversation with is my best friend and longtime gaming buddy, Jordan Lee Thompson. Jordan, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing really well. <laughs> how are you? Good. For the, the folks listening that don't know you, <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, what your tabletop experience is. Yeah, so... Um... Like Paul said, my name is Jordan Lee Thompson. I am a, um, well, what title do I want to use? Um, I'm an art worker and educator. So um, I do a lot of work in uh, film and media uh, with a lot of nonprofits mostly. And then I do a lot of youth work as well. And I've been playing, Paul, you might be able to say this better than I can. How long have I been playing tabletop games? I want to, I think the first one that we ever played together was the original die 20 star wars yeah back in i don't know like middle school would that have that been right. maybe seventh grade yeah so we were so 15 ish plus years that we've been inventing characters and pretending to be them for the enjoyment <laughs> of only ourselves and uh i don't know that i played a single game without you actually whoa yeah i know cool i, I could be i could be wrong well no, that's not true because um, if you count games like Ten Candles, um, oh sure, but that's you know anything long term. Uh, I've only only ever played with Paul and mostly only ever DM'd by Paul or GM'd by Paul. Nice, yeah, yeah. I, I, that's one of my favorite things to do is get to be the dungeon or space master. To me, I love the give and take between like a dm and players so the part that i enjoy on the dm side of the give and take is creating a setting that the players all get to like kind of navigate through and once i find a thing that a player or players really like just kind of bringing that up every once in a while uh it's it's my favorite part of dming with you guys but our conversation today is focused on a topic that I think is really important, and I know Jordan, in a broader sense, has a lot of experience in advocating for it, but it's specifically we want to talk today about representation in uh, tabletop games, and even more specifically how 5th edition handles diversity and representation. And I want to speak primarily about race, uh, because there are there are issues about representation of gender in D and D and specifically Five E and in tabletop games in general, but I don't think two men are necessarily <laughs> equipped to have that conversation by themselves. So maybe that's for another time. Because race is important in D and D. It is a fundamental part of creating your character in D and D is choosing a quote race. So. I want to I want Jordan to answer this question. Jordan, when you're picking a race for a character that you're going to play, and suppose you're going to choose a human, what sort of questions come to mind that you have to answer when deciding 
you know, w what are the things that I want my character to look like? How do I want him to speak or her to speak? Yeah, definitely. So, um, uh, because my name doesn't necessarily imply it, and uh, this is audio <laughs> only, I should say, um, so I'm Arab American, um, specifically I'm transracial Arab American, which just means that I, and it's way more complicated than this, but I um, uh, grew up in a predominantly white family, um, but am not white and don't identify as white and for the most part haven't been viewed as white by anybody I've interacted with, right? So that's that's definitely played a role in how I've created characters in the past. Um, when we were in middle school, I, I was dealing with some identity stuff and all of my characters were white because that was normal and that's what felt... Um, that was the default, yeah, right? Yeah, and, it, and it's what it's what I um, felt was heroic, I guess, um, in a in a oh, interesting sense of the the word. So, um, and I wanted to be. I've always been interested in being a character that's kind of like, um, not average. That's not the right word, but but just you know, kind of a normal person who's thrown into. Uh, like really wild circumstances that they have to then contend with. That story has just always been interesting to me because it's relatable. Because um, I've so, never. Yeah. So do you not like? So if I were to assign you like creating a character in the style of Luke Skywalker, the the chosen one, that's not an ideal character that you would enjoy to play. Um, I mean, in a way, Luke Skywalker is exactly the the archetype that I'm talking about at least at the beginning of his journey right yeah where he's like he's a farmer right um he's living a, a life that he doesn't expect to be very exciting um and then all of this stuff happens to him and then some destiny stuff comes in of course and that's very like <laughs> luke skywalker being like you know another cis straight white dude who happens to be the savior of humanity or whatever <laughs> is a trope i'm not super into but you know at the time you know as a, as a middle schooler i probably was kind of into that trope but as that's evolved you know i'm always i'm always creating characters that i identify in some way so they're they're you know a part of me to some degree um so this kind of transracial aspect uh you know playing and you know this but uh your audience probably doesn't but i'm not a huge fantasy fan we'll get into that um mm -hmm. i love science fiction mm -hmm. but when i have played fantasy um this sort of like half elf uh thing has been interesting because it's like a little different but not that different but you know you can play with kind of identity politics there mm -hmm. um but ever since we didn't play for a long time. We played in middle school and then we didn't play for a long time. And then it was like end of college we got back into it or I got back into it. You might have been playing in between. <laughs> it's It's been constant. <laughs> but um, but uh, yeah, I think I think when I came back to it in the end of college, I don't know that I've created a white character since all mm -hmm. of my characters have have looked like me. They've, they've all been um, all of the characters that I've put a lot of time into i should say mm -hmm. have all been um brown men basically mm -hmm. um and as yeah. a dm i think so i can speak to having played several of those games with you the uh yep 
the amount <laughs> of work and effort that a player chooses to invest in their character only makes the job of the DM that much easier because there's this rich history that you can pull stuff from. Now, what's interesting with Jordan is that I, as a white suburban went to a private college male have very little experience in uh, transracialism and in living a life with uh, a skin color that is not the quote default. So when Jordan brings in all of this history that is uh, not one that I'm familiar with or one that I know a lot about, it can be kind of daunting to, to engage in that stuff and to do it honestly, because the last thing you want to do is to take that carefully crafted and in a lot of times personal narrative that's in a player character's story and do injustice to it in the sense that I don't want to play tropes of like, okay, so Jordan is a transracial, his character is a transracial Arab uh, individual. Well, shit. Uh, <laughs> like, how do I approach that in an honest way without having to rely on stereotypes that uh, we as, I, when I say we, uh, white, cisgendered, middle-class men, like, we just don't know those experiences as well as I think we should, for sure. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's a, a breadth of media on, um, you know, European or American uh, culture and like stories and narratives that exist within those cultures uh, and you know the stories that exist about I mean the stories that I see most of the time in mainstream media you know living in Midwest US uh, when I see an Arab American portrayed especially an Arab American man they're either a terrorist or um, or a Someone, you know, who's like turncoated, right? From the mm -hmm. the almost considered norm of being a terrorist, um, where in reality, I mean, that's not what the Arab world looks like. Uh, right. The majority of, of victims of terrorism are uh, Arabs right now. Um, not to speak of like domestic terrorism, all of that. It's like such a complicated thing. But when mm -hmm. we think of terrorist or when we think of Arab man, you know, we see the same kind of thing. People who look like me, but in different clothes, wearing, um, you know, uh, a headscarf, maybe with an AK-47. Right. So, you know? so it's it is really important when you play and engage in uh, the type of games that we're talking about, tabletop role-playing Dungeons & Dragons-esque games that you treat your players, their characters, with a sense that these are not necessarily separate from the individual that's at the table. Of course, it's important to have boundaries and, like, you know, if I kill your character in the game, I don't actually <laughs> want to kill you in real life. But but to, to treat that with a certain level of sensitivity and consideration... Uh, I want to touch on specifically, though, how 5e handles the idea of race and that, as written, 
race in this book is not the color of one's skin. Race is actually like a different species. Uh-huh. Uh, so dragonborn, elf, orc, their race is defined by very clear and distinct uh, physical qualities, cultural qualities, and mechanically they're statted differently. <laughs> so when you look at the human in Dungeons and Dragons, the default representation of human in this game, I think when you ask anyone, the default would be a white male. And I think Wizards of the Coast has done a really good job of trying to expand and broaden the art that they use, the uh, types of uh, genders that they represent, the types of races they represent. But I still think, ultimately, it's not as easy as, as, it, as it sounds. Yeah, so... Um... Also, I just want to point out, like, cultures, like, you see in the rule book, I was just skimming through it before this conversation, you see um, not only, like, when you go to human, um, it's a, a, a black woman, uh, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But also you'll see, um, you know, you'll see different people wearing, not just, not just, like, who look different um, or, you know, are kind of subverting the stereotypes we've been building up ever since... Tolkien was doing that, um, you know, which which is from a totally different context uh, where he was coming from. Um, but, you know, you'll also see um, people wearing clothes that aren't necessarily in that kind of, um, you know, feudalist inspired uh, Eurocentric uh, culture. So, yes. Um, I mean, seriously, I though, if you like, look at look at the fighter in the player's handbook and it's I believe it's an African-American man. uh and he's not dressed, like you said, in a almost uh, uh, Knights of the Round Table sort of armor. I believe he's got... Um, I mean, he has he's dark of complexion. He's got uh, a spear. He's got a, a kukri knife. Um, but he's, he's dressed in a a non-stereotypical way that when one envisions like, oh, okay, D&D fighter, the the default, I think, is still harkens back to kind of the old school D&D swords and sorcery, uh, tall pointy wizard hat, blonde, white fighter guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're looking for, um, you know, I'm very visual. Um, if you're looking for, like, character concept art on Pinterest or google images or whatever you'll find some you know quote-unquote diversity right um but not a lot of it yeah that's that's definitely that's definitely where i think that norm is is most prevalent um i get uh as a consumer of nerd culture this conversation happens on the internet and it's usually a lot more toxic and unpleasant than the conversation that's happening right now. Yeah. And I, I really wanted to talk to you about this, Jordan, because specifically when I see this, I have a, a reaction to it. But again, I come from a background and like, uh, I don't have the lived experiences you have. So when you see things on the internet, 
people talking about diversity is this SJW uh, social justice warrior. Uh, it's it's they're forcing their agenda. Why can't we just? Why can't it just be the way it is? Why do we have to have minorities represented in games? And I want to call specifically. This isn't tabletop related, but the there was a huge controversy around Battlefield One unveiled the character concept for the the front cover of the box was an African American rifleman, and that caused a huge uproar across the internet and you see this all over gaming as like this reaction to diversity uh can you say that having that seeing people that look like you in media you consume that's important to you right (laughs) like you're not just like oh what's all these what are all these brown people doing here but it's i kind of want to i want to kind of subvert that conversation i think i think the conversation that is happening is being had around, like for example, that, and I, I maybe, maybe heard about that, but I, I don't play games like that personally. It's just no. not interesting. I game. don't blame you. It's <laughs> trash. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I know you know other people get get different things out of games than I do, but, but I, I think that controversy is. I mean, I don't want to say it's not important, but I also want to say it's kind of silly in a couple ways. First of all, like I, I just don't want to like give white supremacists ground all writers ground to um pick up that conversational space because yeah i just don't i just don't mm-hmm. think it's worth it mm-hmm. uh, i think it's a waste of time and i think that they are uh wasting our time but i also think that you know the yes representation is important but i think that is a very like tokenistic way of doing it right mm-hmm. really really it's like why do we need another world war game um from the perspective that we continue to have right there are mm-hmm. other uh, world war stories if we need to stick with that specific genre that can be told from because you know it wasn't just axis versus allies in terms of um you know the americans and the brits uh, etc versus the germans um and and you know the japanese do get drawn in there sometimes mm-hmm. uh, in world war Two, mm-hmm. um, and i do want to acknowledge that there's a lot of things we could talk about that there too kind of bring it back to role playing there's you know there are a lot of stories that aren't being told and a lot of settings that aren't being used that allow us to kind of exist within this this Eurocentric media landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Tolkien created a very Eurocentric view of fantasy because given the times, that's like, I wouldn't have expected anything different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we've kind of allowed that to continue to be the base of everything. I know by the well, 5e can exist in so many different settings, right? That's kind of the beauty of like role-playing games in general is as a, as a, not just as a character, but especially as a GM, you have the ability to create your setting to be whatever you want it to be. But let's yeah. say we, we took um, the base setting of um, what's the, what's the world that we've played in the most in 5e? Probably like, like the, the stand, it's called Faerun. Yeah. I think is yes, like the, right kind of wizards of the coast neverwinter baldur's gate water deep all that yeah. happens within faerun so so there there is more than that kind of like eurocentric culture happening there mm-hmm. there's there's a few different cultures kind of put in there the way that the other ones are are exist it makes it really hard to set a campaign in there i think in a lot of ways 
um, from my understanding, and, and you might be able to speak to that better, but like I remember kind of looking at, you know, creating these really in-depth backstories that I do, many times that has to do with kind of justifying my existence in a place, right? Like if we're if we're in a place where everyone is white, well, how does my brown character come to be in that place? And so I have to create this whole timeline, um, right. this whole backstory. And I enjoy doing that, but it's it, part of it comes from a necessity, right? I mean, I mm-hmm. could just say I'm here, but but that that allows me to kind of get away with um, ignoring uh, my characters, you know, culture and and cultural background and the way that they look and the way that they differ from other people, which is important. Um, it's important to me because that's my lived experience, but also it's important because um, otherwise you just happen to have people who are of different skin tones and uh but they otherwise kind of are culturally homogenous it's almost like that that colorblind mentality like to not acknowledge race is a different form of racism that 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 doesn't solve it's just a different problem not as not a a fix for a problem yeah it's it's ignoring history right it's ignoring context it's sorry for the uh, motorcycle bar (laughs) that i live (laughs) <laughs> that's fine <laughs> um but uh um oh, lost my train of thought anyway um no well that's that's okay i mean we're talking about this the color blindness uh yes. and how that not acknowledging race can in its own way be a form of racism and that I think that's why it's critical that as a DM, you have a conversation with your players about race in games and how you want to treat that. Because we talked earlier about how playing these games is a give and take between player and DM. And then it's not the dungeon master or the space master's job to, to create everything. And then sometimes the players roll dice when they want to hit stuff with a sword or whatever, like, I think some of the best role playing is where the DM gives agency to the players to create parts of the world and establish lore. Uh, so to, to tie all that back to what we were speaking on earlier, uh, being able to have those conversations is super important because there are some tropes and uh, there are some things that fantasy the fantasy genre specifically has normalized that can be uncomfortable for players if you don't have that conversation i think a big one is the idea of slavery in games and how how you approach using or not using slavery in your games because slavery for the 21st century like person is it's a complicated subject that I, you, you just have to have that conversation beforehand with your players before you dive into, okay, you're all slaves now. And like how, you know, I'm not going to answer the question how you do that as a player, like how, or as a DM, how do you set that up appropriately? But all I wanted to say was that those types of things need to be handled before the game with all of your players and everyone needs to have buy-in for sure. Yeah, well, and that—that's 
just going to make a game more engaging, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when we played Stars Without Number, um, that was such a such a, a moment for me to really get engaged with role playing in a way I hadn't before. Partially because you know that genre speaks to me, but partially because of that ability to um, that you left us as players to help build that. Uh, I mean, more than one world, right? But that world mm-hmm. that we were living in. Um, and really to say, you know, like, okay, so I have some ownership over how this planet looks because, um, this is where I'm from and this is, you know, this is how I see the future kind of playing out Mm -hmm. in this one place. Um, that's, that's part of why I love that, that system so much. Which I think is to the advantage of tabletop games and role-playing games in specific is that we as players and GMs really have license to make these games whatever we want. You can create stories however you you want to, and I think they're only getting better. I think games are only getting better in encouraging uh, diversity of experiences, of culture, and, I, and it's so much better than what it was. I want to quote a section in a blog that I read prior to this, conversation it's race in dnd.wordpress.com in the roughly 100 illustrations that depict adventurers in the first edition dungeon master's guide and player's handbook published in 1978 there are no non-white adventurers in the over 100 illustrations of adventurers in second edition player's handbook and dungeon master's guide published in 1989 there are no white adventurers After 25 years, the third edition, published in 2003, makes some passing mention of race in the character creation process, and that is as follows. Most humans are the descendants of pioneers, conquerors, traders, travelers, refugees, and other people on the move. As a result, human lands are a mix of people, physically, culturally, religiously, and politically, hardy or fine, light-skinned or dark, snowy or austere, Primitive or civilized, devout or impious, humans run the gamut, dot, dot, dot. They have a variety of hair types from blonde to curly and facial hair for men from sparse to thick. So it took, you know, when you're talking about tabletop games, it's important to recognize that D&D is the kind of the, it's what started it all. It's what people think of when you say tabletop games. So to have 25 years of a game and a, almost a genre of no representation to what we have now, I think it's important to recognize that good things are happening in the space. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and there are a few, and I, um, I'm blanking on the name, but um, the same publisher who did Stars Without Number um, is one of created one of them, but there are a few settings now that are not Eurocentric, right? That are still within the fantasy realm, but use this totally other um, mm-hmm. kind of history of mythology and folklore and and cultural, um, you know, steal, stealing is is a word that might be worth using, but you know, stealing another um, culture uh, for this game purpose. Now, pretty sure that was done by uh i think that publisher is one single white dude yeah i i'm pretty seen no mean publishing i think is what seen no mine um, 
Oh man, should have should have figured that out before we went live. It might be yes. I think it's Latin. I'm not. I'm, my Latin is. We should ask Alex, really. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, it's a single person. I think it's David Crawford. Crawford. And I think I think he's. I mean, I'm a fan of him. But oh um, yeah. And and I and I'm glad that, that setting exists. And I I um, would love to check it out. But but just being able to take um, you know some of these fantasy tropes, but then um, Kevin Crawford. Sorry. Totally. Oh, that's right. That sounds. I right. just want to make sure we got it right. Yeah. To all the people out there wanting to play Stars Without Number. It's it's good. Um, but, you know, setting is, and, and this is really on the GM in large part, mm-hmm. um, you know, setting is such, setting and that kind of background mythology, right, is such an important part of what creates a campaign and what creates that idea of um, diversity. Because, again, like, as a character who wants to, you know, as someone who wants to play a brown character, um, if I'm going to do it in uh, an all-white setting, I have to put the work in to say, okay, this is how I justify my existence here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those things where it's like, it, on the speaking from a DM point of view, the the path of least resistance is often the one used because it can seem so overwhelming to do all of the work, the legwork to to craft a place that is outside of your cultural or lived experience. So, uh, and I want to, I don't want to move too far away from this thought, but I want to ask you at some point, um, what would you advise? I mean, that's a big question to ask, but I guess uh, for, for DMs out there that want to create places that are outside of their kind of cultural or just outside of their comfort zone like where would you suggest people go to ingest that media uh because i imagine it, a lot of it is you know read some books watch some films uh and listen to some music are usually like the three kind of primary ways to engage in in a different culture but i'm interested in in what you think on that yeah i mean that's complicated, right? And right, and yeah. Partially... Just answer this huge question for us right now. <laughs> well, you know, partially, I think that in some in some ways, it might not be responsible for a GM to um, to pl- uh, play a game to to set a game in a setting that is uh, so culturally foreign to them, right? So research can do something, mm-hmm. but um, but it might be like hey um you know are you interested in dming this you know mm-hmm. you have more experience with this um i think and to touch on yeah. that that's a common complaint uh from kind of that other gross side of the internet in that <laughs> wh- why why can't i just do that thing uh why can't i say that word why can't why can't i just why is my experience not the same but I, what you're saying, I think, is very true in that there are some stories that you just, not that you can't tell, but you don't have the right perspective to tell them. Which is why right. we're not talking about representation of women in games, because we are two <laughs> men. And I don't yeah. think that is a productive conversation for two men to have alone, uh, because there's only so much we can really talk about as both men. Um. But yeah, my other my other response to that is, um, I mean, you know, I have a bias here because I I do some work in in um, curating and um, 
certainly watching uh, film from the larger Arab world. Um, and I think that that's a, a great way to kind of learn more about a culture and like see real stories is to watch media that was made by those people, right? Um, those people, that's a phrase I didn't want to use today. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, like I'm, I'm not going to, watching a documentary about, um, let's say the, the crisis in Syria, uh, if it's made by um, a team from the US, um, especially a team of, of white people from, predominantly white people from the US, like I'm not gonna get the same perspective, I'm not gonna get the same story as um, a documentary made by someone who's living that experience or who grew up there um, and is coming back and seeing it in a totally different light. Because, you know, we're used to, to viewing the U.S. or um, to a, a slightly lesser degree Europe as like these bastions of civilization, right? Um, that's, that's a very narrow uh, definition of, you know, c- civilization and, right. and what it, we want it to be, and also totally ignoring um, not just what other cultures are, but furthermore, the history that kind of got us here, that's wrought with racism and colonialism and and achievements uh, outside of that Anglo and, and Eurocentric uh, viewpoint. Um, but... Another thing that I think I would suggest is just, you know, if you're if you're playing a game, like, you know, if you're in Paul's situation and you're playing a game with someone like me, um, you know, maybe there's and and again, like I'm transracial, so I'm I'm not I I've got um well, it's complicated, right? My family's not entirely white. Um and I do have more experience on you know, the Arab world. Um, but again, I've I've uh, never lived there. I've, I haven't been there for um, long periods of my life, mm-hmm. and um, so there's there's that as well. But you know, if something's set in in a place that your character is going to or your player is going to understand better than you are, you know, at, just ask them about it. And I, I think about you know I I have listened to because I'm wanting to uh, GM in the future. And so I've been watching a little bit of Adam Koble's uh, YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I know he's spoken to, you know, he likes to be able to pull in character or players uh, experiences and kind of ask them like, well, what, how do you think this would go? Um, you know, and letting them be the experts in their experience uh, and, you know, in their character's experience. So I think I think that's a big thing is, um, you know, allowing, like I mentioned with Stars Without Number, you know, allowing people to not only help create the, the world that they're from, but also the world in which they live in. Mm-hmm. Um, that also, I think, takes some like I'm taking notes on that because I'm like, oh, new GM, that might make my job easier. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so. I. So when we like our game of stars was uh, probably one of the longest games I've played. And as far as like a cohesive narrative, uh, probably one of the most enjoyable games that I've played. And I like as a fast, quick, dirty tip to other DMS out there, I really think like your, your players are the best 
advocates for their own history, I think the game becomes so much harder if you as the DM set up, here is this whole world, now players live in it. Because your players don't, they weren't a part of that process. Like, they didn't come up with the moon on Phobos 12 having a entirely algae-based uh, food system or whatever. What, insert whatever in your game uh, that the fort at Castle Grayskull is entirely made up of mummified cats. If you give your players license to create in your world, I, it only makes your job easier, one, and I think it gives your players a lot more buy-in, and they're way more invested in it. Uh, so to give your players space to create a character that fits who they want to play as uh, and not say no uh, or say or at least ask them to explain like sometimes players want the world and it's our job as a dm to say okay but remember like this game is about an arc or is about a story over time so how can we make that story more interesting? Do you need that right now? Can we make that something your character wants in the future? Uh, it's just... Uh, yeah, I think the the fact that D&D, and specifically independent role-playing games, by virtue of the internet has really created a golden age of new games and new experiences to play. I don't, I'm, you know, I've only been doing this for 15-ish years and <laughs> only seriously been doing it for like five years. So the amount of time I've spent playing is not even near the the hole that it's existed, but there are just so many good games now and i really truly believe that there hasn't been a better time to enjoy these types of hobbies than right now because the i think kickstarter indiegogo and like drive through rpg have pretty much made it so that if you have a story you want to tell you can do it and you can get paid to do it which i think is really important for artists writers Anyone that engages in a creative artistic venture deserves and should be paid for the art that they produce. So, like, the fact that people can make these games and get paid for them is really cool. It's nice that... I love D&D, but it's nice that I don't think it has a monopoly on the, the, the genre anymore. Um, because we're seeing things... Uh, seeing games being made now that allow for different types of stories to be told. Because I, I think a point that you made earlier, Jordan, was that having to insert your character into this Europe, Eurocentric world design of kind of what classic D&D is, is difficult. But if you can find a game out there where the, the quote default is maybe what your character's lived experience was, I think that's a net good for the the gaming community yeah and i ideally one that's authentic too mm -hmm. um because we were talking about um what Faerun, right mm -hmm. um and it's it's um different kind of lands right um and i remember I believe i'm not looking at a map 
I'm looking at a map in my head from however many years ago that that you know I was I was yeah. into this. But um, I want to say in the southeast um, of that of that map, there's a, a place that um, is primarily inspired by uh, Egypt. And when I say Egypt, I don't mean like contemporary Egypt, uh, but I mean like ancient Egypt. Right. <laughs> of course. That, you know, I mean, like, very interesting and compelling uh, mm -hmm. culture, but a, a culture that, um, you know, is is not. I mean, it's a, it's a diff it's different. It's different than contemporary Egypt, and I think that's really important that people understand because I feel like people forget that Egypt is a real country today with real people in it, and um, and more more than one culture. Uh, mm -hmm. there. Um, but it's it's. It's a place where I could say, I felt like I could say like, you know, my family was from, but not necessarily that my character was from because it was so inhospitable and, and um, at, for a character to, to grow up in, in a way that felt like they could be, um, I don't mean normal in the like, you know, Eurocentric, form of, of normal that we're kind of critiquing but normal in the sense of like um having a healthy uh childhood normal you know um and so you might be able to set a campaign there but it's like it's it's very different not just culturally but in terms of um the um the kind of violence that i think you might expect to just be commonplace which plays into that kind of savagery of um people of color represented in especially but but kind of everywhere yeah um you know i think about um think about like game of thrones uh which you know is great in a lot of ways but also um the brown people in game of thrones are um if i remember correctly in season one um, you know, portrayed very heavily as like savages um, that need a uh, white person uh, to save them. And, um, and then they, you know, it expands in later seasons, but, but uh, people of color are still represented. And I can't remember any names of any places in Game of Thrones. <laughs> I'm not because I'm, I'm waiting on my girlfriend to, uh, to catch up to where I was so that we can keep watching together but um i think that's a pretty adequate summary like i don't yeah. think i i don't you know they are there are some uh effort made to make them a a more fleshed out culture than just like the mongolian horde but in a lot of ways the game is about or the game jesus the show is about what's happening in Westeros between all these white people that think they need to sit on this big metal chair. Right. right yeah. That's, the, <laughs> that's the show. And the Dothraki are like, yes, like you said, they're seen as these savages, these, uh, they fight unarmored. Um, and they fight using, I think co they, a lot of them use a Kopesh, which is, is that an, uh, I mean, that's not the 
again, they're trying to make this distinction between like Westeros is Europe, right? And then the Dothraki where the desert and all the bad stuff is. is... But then there's, there's the south part of Westeros too, which um, are also people of color, right? Um, don't remember anyone's mm. name or um, <laughs> the name of the, the, the place, but um, anyone listening to this is going to be <laughs> mouth like silent, screaming at their computer what it is, <laughs> and neither of us yeah. know. And and I think I think that the representation, you know, they 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 have a distinct culture. Um, and they're more interesting, but they're also very much outsiders, and they're still a little like, um, oh, they're backstabby down there, um, you know. So it's it's still it's still this sort of otherization um, of like, you know, they're separate, they're exotic, they're um, oh, inauthentic. Right? That's that's man, you you killed this segue without even knowing because. <laughs> That was something that I wanted to bring up earlier in that the, for the most part, player characters in D&D or in tabletop in general are white by default. And when I say default, that's like, maybe that's like what the initial illustration shows, or that's kind of the implication from the writing is that white, the, the, the characters are white. And to when you uh, a non-white character is exotic or is um, is is like you said is the other, and if you look at uh, there's an old D and D module and I can't do e module that is uh, takes place in the Orient and. It's it hmm. didn't age well. It did, did not age very well. Um, and I'd love to talk with someone uh, uh, because there's a bigger conversation about how uh, people of Eastern de- descent are depicted in uh, gaming, especially like there's such a broad spectrum of people japanese chinese vietnamese uh those are like the big ones right but there's so many more and they're so depicted homogeneously as like either yeah or like giant they're either samurais or ninjas and and they coexist at the same time (laughs) same place yeah right and i think again we're coming back to this idea that Indie games are getting better now at telling broader stories that these big box games, these D&D, Goliaths, Pathfinder, they they sometimes have difficulty telling those in, I think, an authentic way that you were getting at earlier, where these stories and settings are crafted by people with a cultural understanding that is kind of relevant to the one that they're creating. Um... Yeah, and that that also reminds me of I just knew I had to bring up the uh, and this is not tabletop gaming, but and I actually don't play World of Warcraft, but that's when, totally okay. In World of Warcraft, there's uh, a species. I think they're all pretty related, right? Yeah, I mean, oh, I think all of this absolutely. conversation is related. Very. Uh, they were 
were all birthed, all, all of this high fantasy stuff that was birthed from Tolkien, right? Right. And the way that it's evolved together mm-hmm. um, and, and really not changed uh, all that much in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Nope, uh, still, like, still killing orcs. Right, <laughs> and, and kind of the, the racial implications of that is very interesting mm-hmm. still. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, but... Yeah, I mean, like, I just think about the this panda species, and they, I'm sure they have a name, and I feel like it has the word panda in it. But uh, <laughs> I think they're, I think the place is called Pandaria. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, and uh, you know, it's like, it's like this idea that oh, we have to get like representation of other cultures in here. So instead of making them people, let's make them this animal that's like highly identifiable <laughs> to this region that those people uh, who've created this culture. Uh, live in <laughs> they're called really... pandaren by the way yeah, like yeah pandaren like, from pandaria well instead of having this this like for, like real uh culture represented let's have um let's have it represented in this probably super homogenous way by panda bears <laughs> and i'm sure they're cute which you know is this whole other you know thinking <laughs> about like japanese cuteness and like the cultural reference kind of being made there like i don't know it's just like come on <laughs> and i think better than that if right? we had if we had someone in this call right now that was a huge world of warcraft fan they could probably explain to us that there actually is a variety of represent i'm like looking at the wow wikipedia page right oh, now sure. and there are a ton of races qualities. represented uh that are not necessarily just pandas but i would ask yeah. you then like what does that message send if the if to an outsider it's like oh yeah sure uh it's a place it takes place in pandaland that's definitely that's they've got bamboo staffs you know (laughs) what am i supposed to take from that other than uh blizzard was out of ideas (laughs) and as a potential player like what is my what is my buy-in how can i see myself represented here if that's how i see myself represented here Mm -hmm. no thank you right I mean, it, there are capitalistic, uh, in, in you know, your view on capitalism may differ uh, depending on who you are, but there are capitalistic uh, reasons to be, you know, diversifying uh, mm-hmm. your, the experiences that you're representing and the experiences that you're helping to give to people. Um, but that, that reminds me of, you know, earlier you were talking about how in Dungeons and Dragons, this race uh and species issue is mm, yeah. mingled and i think that's really interesting like you know you choose a race which really is a species um in terms of the way that we think of those two words now mm-hmm. um but there are absolutely racial implications to them because there are uh like cultural markers that exist with um some of those non-human species that are definitely pulled from real cultures um in a way that that stereotypes them and brutalizes them i'm thinking of orcs in particular um but also i know and i was reading this earlier this morning but i'm like oh yeah that's that's something i definitely remember is elves are um you know there there are there are you know like morality preferences for example by race and um and i think maybe they've moved away from this a bit um, but maybe not. I'm not sure. You might be able to speak to this more. But yeah, um, we're like 
elves that happen to have darker skin, who are dark elves, um, are more likely to be evil, right? Whereas um, yeah. elves are um, more likely to be They're the high elves good. and the drow. If yeah. if I think if I was like and a then, Wizards of the Coast like director, that would be like the first thing I'm like, guys, we cannot have or guys and girls, people in the room right now, <laughs> we can't have this exist anymore. It's too gross and weird. Well, and then the aren't the the there are wolf, other wolves that are like tan skinned that are wild. Like that's its own. Like the wood elves, for example, are like take a lot of inspiration from like some Native American uh, mm. spiritualism. Uh, I definitely, if you were to just look at elves, this is the nerdiest thing I've ever said. If you were to just look at elves, and you were to look at the the variety of them, you have the high elves, which to me are clearly the most like quote unquote civilized or white. Uh, they have the 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 greatest structures, the the high society. They're too good for the other races. As that's how incredible they are. The wood elves are this spiritualist, taking influences from Native American culture in general. Uh, you have the drow, which are the the dark elves that live below ground who worship the evil spider god. Um, yeah. I want to also talk about speaking of like these races in D and D. I I just I don't know where this conversation is going to go, but I'm just going to say it. So, <laughs> talk about these cultural markers, right? And you mentioned the orcs and the idea, or what the game presents a a an orc, a full blooded orc is actually a monster. That's not it's not a playable race. Only by being a half-orc, an orc that mated with a human being, does that character become playable. Uh, I just think that's kind of interesting that, like, that's kind of the... Again, we have all these, these variety of races, but when they mix with a human, somehow they get this inedible... Or, inedible. They, they get this... <laughs> <laughs> they get this quality that brings them closer to i guess what makes a player character a player character i'm not really sure why that is but you have half elves you have half orcs um it literally makes them more human sure right and 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 that makes sense in a lot of ways except that we have this very artificial dividing of races um or species in the game that then when we like look to real life the only way that we're able to see an analogy there is um, our culturally constructed notion of race, right? Mm -hmm. Like white or black or brown and all of its various shades. Um, and, you know, it, it just it just kind of pushes us to, to perpetuate that, I think. And mm -hmm. like anything in media does, right? Like a lot of people, I think, don't realize or don't want to admit that anything that we read or watch or um, interact with uh, helps feed our understanding of the world, right? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think the games we play are, are absolutely no exception. Right. I, definitely. I, I really, really strive in the games that I play to create something that's as uh, honest as I can make it. So, like, I really like having stories 
and I'll let me talk in a specific here. So, in our Stars Without Number game, I Jordan had brought up earlier. Um, Jordan's character was a non-white uh, player or a non-white character. His background was very non-white. His his the whole uh, star system that he came from was a culturally uh, Arab uh, place, and Not just the system, but the region. Right, yeah, the whole region of space, like carving that out, <laughs> and the there is an innate desire of mine to go against trope, but it I can't tell you how how from a like design or like writing perspective how how much like how easy it would be to create like oh the whole like this region of space they're all like they're the they're the gosh darn the terrorists they're all the uh islamic fundamentalists they're they're everyone that donald trump says they are in this whole region of space right like there's so it's so easy to write that but uh, what's so much more fulfilling and so much more interesting is when you go against trope uh and you really try to uh, you just I wanted to make something that felt different, but it also felt like honest and real. And that's why it was so important that you helped me make that. And you were actually responsible for, I'd say like 90% of what that part of space looked, felt, sounded, and was like. Uh, Because like we touched on earlier, like I can't, I can't by myself create a, honest representation of what would an arab part of space look like it it just would that wouldn't be a good thing but together like we made something that was i think really cool because it didn't felt like it was pulling from anything in existence it was like something that we created out of nothing almost now that sounds kind of rambly but do you can you expound on what i said at all (laughs) yeah i mean i'll also just say i like really wish that we'd recorded all of our sessions together so that we could go back and like put them into a, a story like i don't have a lot of time but if i did i would love to make a graphic novel of all of that that we played it was like i mean it was it was a narrative that i think rivals a lot of you know my favorite narratives in media in general between mm-hmm. books and films and video games um but uh yeah i mean so this might be a good segue to talk about science fiction now, because sure. uh, yeah. we've really we've hammered in on fantasy like over the past like hour or so talking about um, how Dungeons and Dragons in specific 5e handles race and what that's like as someone specifically someone like you, what that's like as a player. But I think science fiction has a lot more room to breathe. I think in without a better metaphor, I, I think I there's, it, I think, I yeah. think there's just more, <laughs> there's more space. <laughs> oh my God. All right. Um, yeah. With that dad joke, I'm going to take the floor away. Um, Please do. So um, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think science fiction is uh, a much better, I think it's just a better lens to look at our own world from, which is a powerful part of narrative for mm-hmm. me storytelling in general is um like being able to 
create some analogous, uh, you know, kind of political, and I mean political and like lowercase p, right? I don't mean like Democrats versus Republicans or whatever, although that's part of it, right? But I mean just like the, the larger cultural, political, um, like power dynamics that mm-hmm. happening and, and that you might be able to happening in the future. Um, I mean, science fiction is a form of speculative fiction. Oh, sorry, Jordan, your your audio is getting kind of lossy. Hold on. Tell you what, let's take a quick five-minute break. I just feel like maybe it has something to do with the recording. So let's just take a quick, like, five-minute break, and we'll be right back. And we're back! <laughs> Ugh, I don't like myself for doing that. Um, we're back. Got the recording all figured out. And we were discussing science fiction games and how they can have or by virtue of being science fiction there's more space for people to play uh characters that might be more true to the kind of characters they want to play and i want jordan to talk (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay cool so um i was just gonna say that um yeah, science fiction can be, I mean, more than fantasy even, uh, can be, it can look like anything, right? It's just like, what do we think the future is going to look like? And that can encompass um, anywhere from uh, post-apocalypse scenarios, which, um, you know, might be a little more realistic to um, galaxy-spanning, um, you know, multitudes of, of habitable worlds that humanity has has spread out into um and unfortunately um and maybe even more problematic sci-fi is also predominantly white and those stories are predominantly white and i say more problematic because it's just so much less realistic um Mm -hmm. because you know you can you can look at um medieval europe and say I mean, the magic part's not realistic, right? But say, like, most of the people here are white. And, like, we kind of understand why that is. But mm-hmm. when we think about the future uh, and humanity's future in the stars or um, or on this planet <clears throat> after disaster, excuse me, we, I mean, what is it, 20, I don't know, definitely within our lifetimes, it's expected. And, like, Pretty soon, I don't remember exactly what the year is, but pretty soon we're expecting the U.S. to um, be a, a so-called majority-minority country. Um, I don't love the term minority, so I don't love that phrase. Mm. But, um, but yeah, I mean, like, if you think about like who's going to be in space, <clears throat> the U.S. will play a role in that. But the U.S. will not be all white, and hopefully, the U.S. Uh, you know, power structures in the U.S. won't be all white. And if we're being optimistic, which I think we should be in in gaming, it won't be. But mm-hmm. also, um, you know, China's going to have a huge role in that. Um, there are going to be lots of lots of nations and lots of corporations and lots of people who are going into space in this more optimistic view of um, what will happen to humanity in the future. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, white people will be the minority in space, I think. Um, And so to create, um, you know, science fiction where, you know, 
and of course it depends on like what our timelines are and what what genre what subgenre of science fiction we're in but yep. to create um a world in which most people are white and that tokenism of um oh you know you're one black character you're one um <laughs> uh racially ambiguous character mm -hmm. um right like like in the future people are gonna look uh you know they're gonna be harder to tell where uh where their heritage is from probably because they're going to be um more mixed the idea more... of innumerable worlds right is uh like oh you're you're uh you're from Jehusian prime or whatever clearly because of the well yeah that it, that that argument doesn't make or that idea doesn't really make sense when you remove yourself from the confines of a planet almost they're like yeah. cultural things but i almost feel like it becomes very difficult to rationalize certain physical differences like if we're talking in a, a about a a time or a place that exists where space travel exists like what does geography even mean right yeah and you know there there might still be um physical differences that you might be able to tie to a place besides earth but they'll have come from um that they won't be the same as we know them today right um that's we... the difficulty yeah. sorry i mean but i i think that's the real challenge in telling really good science fiction stories in tabletop form because what reference do you have for right. you, you have to do so much homework and so much work to create an authentic culture that would exist on a planet that we don't even know like right i mean uh and i i think you know oftentimes like we want to pull like oh this is you know space whatever <laughs> yep space, space Egypt, russia space russia this is space africa this is space you know as a whole thing again um yeah of course like any of the like you know innumerable not innumerable but but many many cultures that actually exist within that continent right mm -hmm. um, uh, but we don't we don't know how to we don't know how to uh craft a, a a culture or something new without pulling heavily from from you know an other that already exists in the real world mm -hmm. um and that and it's almost that otherization that that sets it apart and that exoticization that creates the dissonance that that we need for it to be science fiction and we i mean we do that with um going back to fantasy we do that with uh you know those other species but in science fiction we do that a lot with aliens right we make yeah. aliens like oh they're basically like you know this culture but they look like lizards or i don't know right? <laughs> <laughs> i'm not into that kind of science fiction very much yeah very often um star wars is a is a has certainly been a, a big uh they've done that a lot right they've mm -hmm. they've done that a lot um and they've been called out on it and they are getting better in a lot of ways <laughs> i won't say that uh the new star wars films aren't without problems but they're um you know i think when you see the worse. reaction of the of the trash can dumpster fire of the alt-right <laughs> towards having 
an African-American protagonist in a film. I think when you get such a reaction like that, I think, to me, that sends the signal that they're doing the right thing. I think if it's upsetting those (laughs) people, we're moving at least in the direction of progress. (laughs) It's just unfortunate how how loud white supremacy can still be in 2018. Barf. Um, It's... uh... It's disheartening, um, but you know it's it's part of that it's part of that pendulum, right? Mm-hmm. Of, um, I don't want to use the word progress, uh, yeah, but because uh, I think that that's an inherent fallacy. But of um, inclusivity, maybe of uh, moving towards something better. Anytime you 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 have a shift, you know you're going to have pushback to that shift, and yeah. I think. You know, 2016 is a is a good year to kind of think about where that hit really hard. But I oh. think I think you know if you look at, I mean, you know the the and now we're getting political, but mm-hmm. the um, race is inherently rally. political, though. I mean, oh, absolutely. The... I mean, like we're getting capital P political. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, which is, unfortunately is still uh, race still is capital P political, right? Um, to identify that. Um, Brown people have the same human rights as white people is unfortunately a capital P political stance right now, which is messed up. But um, you know, we we see like the Unite the Right rally uh, in um, twenty seventeen and how like terrifying and 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 ultimately tragic that was. And then um, you know, one year later, a lot of the same people are trying to. Uh, well tried to put that back together and um there were something like 20 to 25 people who actually showed up um from the from that demonstration um like outnumbered by the police that were there to protect them from the um like the counter yeah the yeah, counter protests that were i don't know their numbers but <laughs> definitely bigger than than you know 25 um you know i think i think that pendulum uh is hitting against something already and i'm 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 optimistic that um that we'll be pushing back and and thinking about you know how um and hopefully not in that like kind of really uh surface level neoliberal way but (laughs) yeah (laughs) uh that's almost as cancerous as the uh absolutely but like you know how can we uh dismantle some of these systems of oppression in a way that's that help that serves everyone Mm-hmm. Um, by by you know increasing the capacity for our economy um, and allowing innovation to happen from not just you know the privileged few but allowing that privilege to to spread mm-hmm. and really help us all out. I mean that's that's what you know we're fighting for. Like I'm fi- I'm fighting for people I care about mm-hmm. um, who are from uh, marginalized communities, but but really I think that's fighting for everyone, whether whether everyone recognizes that or not. I to. To take and to kind of circle that back yes. to well, but but this brought up something that I I was casually perusing uh, a couple blogs in preparation for this conversation that I was going to have with you today, and I came across kind of the, the like encapsulation of what arguments about representation in games it's it was sort of like oh yeah of course there is a there was a blog and i wish i had the blog in front of me i'll 
put it in the comments somewhere because I, I really want to cite the stuff that I'm, I'm taking info from because a lot of people have done hard work, yada, yada. But this, this blogger was writing about how uh, Warhammer, so science fiction, Warhammer 40,000 is this tabletop uh, war game. And I have a cat on my lap, so it's, that's just going to be a part of the recording now. <laughs> Warhammer 40,000 is a tabletop uh, war game. It's not necessarily a role-playing game, but there are role-playing games that surround kind of the mythos and the lore. This blog was discussing that the uh, one of the factions in the game called the Space Marines are an entirely male uh, force within like this space military and uh, games workshop has talked about wanting to introduce female space marines into the lore and into the space marine faction because most of the other races and species within the game have not gender defined like gender does not define their role within the structure of the army or the the of the military that the alien or whoever they're using and the pushback like was so gross and so loud that that's why i wanted to have this conversation today because i read that and i'm like there needs to be some people talking about this from our perspective that that representation is not bad having having casts of characters that uh, from a wide range of physical descriptions of cultural descriptions is so important and so it is like such a good that i get really pissed off when i see people argue for its removal so like we can't have female space marines because the emperor was the man and his gene seed wouldn't work. I mean, we're talking about a fake, like, space gothic, like, hyperspace traveling race. You're telling me we can't con, like, we can't come up with a reason to be, I don't know. I mean, I don't know where that was going. Genetic engineering is already happening. Um, Gender is a very easy leap to make there. I've always, um, I've always viewed the the space marines who are, uh, I think always white too, right? Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've always viewed them as like, um, I don't know if I've ever put it in these words before, even for myself, but I've always viewed them as kind of what happens if um, uh, toxic masculinity, white supremacism, <laughs> and misogyny win. <laughs> oh. but, we, but we still survive as a species and, and <sighs> make it out into the stars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, wow. they're... they're <laughs> they're problematic <laughs> <laughs> totally um yeah they really are all those things huh they kind of like check all the boxes yep they really do they really do um and that's why i'm i'm really excited about movements like afrofuturism um that uh to to kind of swing back to po- points we were hitting earlier thank you um, that are really foregrounding um narratives of, of people of color and um and Afrofuturism, specifically, um, you know, the, the African diaspora, right? Um, people who are Black. And um, not just, like, giving space for those narratives, which is happening and is important, but insisting that that people of color um, will exist in the future. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. which you know scientifically like obviously like we know that that's the way that they're that we're moving Mm -hmm. um and uh and i i don't i don't see that changing um and that you know people of color will will be the majority um but that you know that people of color that we deserve a space in uh media and in science fiction um and in the future um and those stories, you know, aren't just like white people who happen to have the skin tones um, mm-hmm. and, and white culture mm-hmm. uh, featuring people of different skin tones, but oftentimes they are, um, you know, culturally relevant uh, looking at, um, you know, non-European cultures and foregrounding um, some of those values and some of those, um, I mean, aesthetics for sure, um, but also just like what, uh, you know, like they're not necessarily hyper capitalist, for example, uh, mm-hmm. which is such a European um, value, right? Yeah. They're not necessarily like focused on um, the individual as the be all end all um, important driver of a story, um, but that a community could be uh, a driver of it. Um, yeah, and this isn't science fiction, but I'm really interested in. I haven't played this yet, but I really want to play this game, Dog Eat Dog. Have we talked about that? Oh no, we haven't. Um, so that's a cool game that I don't know that much about, but um, but I really want to play it sometime. It's all about like, um, I believe, uh, I don't know how many people you can play it with, but I'm gonna guess like three to five or three to six or something like that. And um, I believe that one player. Kind of plays the um the colonizer uh and this could take place in space it could take place on a pacific island it could you know it's it's it could be fantasy i suppose you can kind of create where where it exists but you uh, as a group you define the colonizer and um the the people the indigenous people right mm-hmm. um, and then one place one person plays the colonizer and the others play um people who exist within that and and you don't have happy endings but you get to kind of flesh out like what happens when these two cultures combine and and this power dynamic exists um and how that might play out and it's um i mean it's looking it's like gaming in a macro sense and i know that there's a few games out there like that yeah but allow you to tell a story from a totally different perspective um, and really take a critical lens of um, some of the settler colonialism that's happening uh, in our world, in history, and and today. You know whether that be the U.S. as a, as a settler colonial um, nation, effectively, or mm-hmm. like if you look at like um, uh, like Israel Palestine, like it's a, another way to look at that lens, or it's another lens through look at that conflict. Um, I don't know games that are doing stuff like that. That's that's amazing work being done. I think to really yeah. game of gamify um, macro politics basically um, and help us understand that and, and empathize with that and with both sides, right? Because you know, I think it's important to say, um, and this is something that I think that a lot of those white supremacists don't get is that when people of color are advocating for themselves and advocating for seeing themselves in media. But they're not saying like we want a world where you don't exist. They're just saying 
we, we want, want a world, world where we world. exist mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh and uh and that that's acknowledged that i this is so unrelated but there's such a <laughs> uh um so first of all i wanted to say that I'm going to post a link to this game in the uh, description of the episode. Uh, and what's really cool is this game is a pay what you want on drive-thru RPG. Uh, the suggested price is $5, but if you want to get it, you can pay a dollar or you could get it for $0. Uh, I've in my time playing tabletop role-playing games, every time I've played a new game, it's totally changed how I play other games. So I'm definitely going to take this game and download it today and look at it. And I have more games than I could ever possibly play right now. <laughs> but I think just reading it and understanding the mechanics of the game is, uh, it, that's super important to broadening just how you play and making sure that your games are always fresh and always different. Um, so I'm going to post a link to that dog eat dog. Uh, but I wanted to say that there is a, this is just so off topic, but I don't care because it's, it's my thing. Uh, <laughs> Michael Che, who is one of the hosts of Weekend Update on SNL has a really great Netflix special where he does a bit about how ridiculous it is that he has to argue with people that black lives matter. Like we just, we, he's saying we we matter that's all we're not saying we're better we're not saying we're the best we're just saying that we matter which is a step above we exist right. so so to... i was definitely thinking about that when i was saying it and and maybe i i should have used that link maybe i no i don't remember you, what language you did great you did great <laughs> but to to tie it into the overall conversation about representation in games is uh, telling diff telling stories with your friends doesn't need to be like this. Uh, if you if you want to sit down and play a game with your friends, it doesn't need to be this highfalutin. Uh, well, we need to make sure that our you know that we represent the elves honestly here, and that we're. But. It's also really important that when we're playing games and we're promoting a hobby that we really like, that if we want to bring in new people to this space, which only makes things better, the more people are engaging in your hobby, the, I think the better the hobby is. Uh, you need to make it so that there are stories that they want to tell and there is a space for them to tell those stories. Uh, still predominantly a white male uh, hobby, but I think we're seeing more and more as indie games like this doggy dog game. I, I think we're seeing more games being made. We're seeing a more diverse pool of people playing them. And I'm like, I just come back to this thought that like, we um, like, okay. So the reason I play games is like, yes, to have fun and to hang out with you and our friends, mm -hmm. um, which is like such an, a critical part of, of, uh, just like my happiness is like being able to hang out with you all and playing games is a really great way to do that. Um, and it is to have fun, but it is also, you know, all of the games we've played um, have been 
ways to to help me understand myself and understand the world and understand you all for sure mm -hmm. um and i mean like that's the that's the really beauty and importance of storytelling right like as human beings uh we have evolved to really like live by storytelling mm -hmm. um it's it's been a huge part of civilization creation uh and a huge part of just like how we have come to understand ourselves and our communities and and the way in which we live is through storytelling and that's you know that doesn't have to mean you know like you know luke skywalker uh discovers his purpose and um, <laughs> mm -hmm. his, uh spoiler alert his father darth vader um, <laughs> didn't you'd think <laughs> yeah. obi-wan would just mention that but um, but uh you know that's that's a form of storytelling and like mm -hmm. that's that's a great story in a lot of ways and and that story i think has helped people understand themselves and understand their society better but you know it also storytelling is also like this is who i am and how i exist within this space or you know this is a moment where um something happened and i learned how to deal with it you know storytelling is is this very broad thing but in in doing this work of of creating stories with our friends to have fun by playing these games like we're creating stories and those stories um have a lot of power over us and if we're bringing in other voices if we're bringing in other experiences we're creating something that really allows us to, to tell a story that's complex in the way that life is complex um i think we learn and we grow a lot more and honestly like i have more fun from that myself mm -hmm. you know when when uh in stars without number when nick's character died and my character was in the next room like hearing it and making a decision you know do i stand up and and go out with my friend or do i like live to to fight another day against these like bigger uh forces that uh you know are threatening the threatening the other people i love like that's that's like that's like real drama that like makes me decide like so what does my character do what is how does that reflect what i would do in mm -hmm. that situation who am i as a person and um i mean that's that's like really beautiful stuff right there i think that's the the if you were to give like an elevator pitch of what games like tabletop games and role-playing games can do they that's what i would that's what i would use the <laughs> Uh, level of investment you can have or not have is totally up to you. Uh, there, there, I play with people that purely from a mechanical perspective enjoy D&D. &D. They could kind of give a shit about all of the other like narrative. They just really like engaging with like the rolling the dice and leveling up and incremental increases in ability and power. And like that's all fine. But I think the strength of the genre is in what you describe, in that you can, with people that you trust and like, really take a deep dive into who you are, th your own values, um, and like kind of work those out in a safe space with other people where there's no... The consequences of that are very low, whereas in real life, if you're experimenting with these ideas, <laughs> the consequences are very high. Um, That's a but, really good way to put it. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I just I, that's and to me, I, I think that's why like I enjoy playing games with you so much, Jordan, is because we both I think get a lot out of that give and take of crafting a narrative with your friends. Yeah, uh, and, and I've been friends with you and you know the other people we play predominantly with for we've we've all been friends for what twenty plus years. Yep. That's wild, first of all. That's wild. Um, <laughs> that's that's we not, nuts. We are still in our 20s. <laughs> um, yep. But, uh, but honestly, like, in the last few years of playing role-playing games with you, I've, I've like, learned so much about each and every one of you in a way that, that I wouldn't have otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's it started other conversations outside of role-playing that have allowed us to kind of like, you know, understand ourselves and, and each other in totally new ways. Yeah. It, it gives, it gives so much nuance to my friends are, are like, I have these real lived experiences where we went and did a thing, but I also have these experiences that like, couldn't possibly ever happen outside of, the like role-playing space that we played in uh it's just wild and so cool and i think that's a really good positive note to kind of wrap things and tie things up on unless there's anything else that you really wanted to touch on no i i think we had everything that i wanted to make sure i said cool uh i want to give you so you're the the guest here do you have any plugs that you want to make for like the eight people that are listening to this (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, if you live in the Twin Cities, uh, on September 20, wow, I should really get the date right. Uh, the last <laughs> weekend of September, that Thursday through Sunday, um, which is, I'm going to give you the specific dates in about three seconds. Yeah. So, um, from September 27th to, uh, 30th is the, uh, Mizna's Twin Cities Arab Film Festival, uh, which I coordinate. And it's awesome. Uh, it is a really great way to uh, be hearing some stories about particularly the Arab world and um, Arab American, uh, you know, the Arab diaspora to mm-hmm. some degree. Um, and, um, you know, we're going to have some cool filmmakers there and um, some discussions. And it's just a really great time. And it's, like, not super expensive. You can get a pass for... I don't know how much, I don't remember, but not that much money if you wanted to see everything or you can see specific films or get a, a, you know, three pack of films um, for pretty cheap. So, um, yeah, that's in the Twin Cities uh, if you happen to live there. Otherwise, I don't have anything uh, coming up. Uh, I started a new job recently and so I'm pretty busy with that. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm... Uh, every, anyone that's in the Twin Cities, uh, late September, I posted I'll, I posted a link to Mizna uh, down below somewhere on this webpage where this exists. So I encourage anyone that has the opportunity to go and check it out. And uh, Jordan, it was really great to talk to you today uh, about I think some really cool and f- important topics. So thanks for taking the time to hang out and discuss this with me yeah thanks for having me on paul yeah buddy 
will be chatting with you on Facebook Messenger all this week. <laughs> cool. I, I'm I'm so excited. All right. Uh, to all, to everyone out there on the internet, thanks for taking the time to listening to the first episode of a new series called Player Characters. So have a good day and bye. <laughs> Oof. <laughs>